tonight, we're going to do something that Christians call taking communion. It's a funny term. Christians have all kinds of interesting terms that are old and have come from other languages and translations and uh, but it refers to this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You can look at the 23rd verse. 1 Corinthians is a letter written by an early church leader, a man who had actually founded the first Christian community in an ancient city called Corinth, which is in Greece. And he traveled there, and God used him to sort of start the first church there. And then he left, and he, you know, he's a guy that traveled around, and he would write letters back to the places where he had founded churches. And so this is a letter that Paul wrote, this man, Paul, who, who started this Christian community, he's writing a letter back to them because he wasn't with them, and he's keeping in touch just the way we do with our friends, only this wasn't just any letter. This was actually God inspiring him to write important things that these early Christians needed to know. So important that all Christians for all time actually need to know these things, and so this letter got collected into the Bible. And so now when Christians read it, this ancient, ancient document, sometimes we say, you know, Paul, this guy Paul who wrote this letter, Paul said this or Paul wrote this, and sometimes we just say God says, and we might read, uh, you know, verse 24 or something, because it is God's word written down through the pen, literally, of a man. And that happens a lot in the Bible. And this is one of those times it happens. And that's what Philippians is. That's why we would sit down and read it. Some of you might have been like, why are they reading an old letter? Okay, I knew Christians were weird, but this is odd, right? I know not, not all of you in here probably have you know a lot of Christianity in your background. Some of you, this is probably new stuff. Well, we read it because for literally, think about this number, 2,000 years. It's a big number, right? People have read these writings and encountered God. A lot of you, right? You've had the experience with me. And God has spoken to them and fixed them and changed them and made them new people and healed them. When, for 2,000 years, when, when people have read these things and they have been like, that was God talking to me. And so whether we're reading Paul's letter to the church in Philippi called Philippians or this one, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And in chapter 11... <clears throat> look what Paul writes. He writes about what we're going to do tonight uh, when we take communion. This is what Paul writes. He writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, if you know the story, what Paul is referring to is that Jesus and his closest followers, we call them his disciples, which means his learners, like his apprentices kind of thing, right? Just a little inner circle. They were there with him on this last night of his life before he was executed, before he was killed. And they shared just like a an exclusive dinner. And it wasn't just an exclusive dinner. They were celebrating the Jewish feast called Passover. And it seems like when that was over, Jesus instituted his own... Uh, tradition. And he said, 
I'm going to do something very simple. And he picked up a cup, which had some wine in it. We're going to drink grape juice, right? Fruit of the vine. And he, he took a piece of their bread and he used them, it says, to establish a memorial that when they would get together and eat that bread that way in his name, they would be remembering that what they hadn't seen yet. He's telling them about something that's about to happen. It's future to them. It's past us. They, they might not even know what he's talking about. When they saw him a day later crucified on a Roman cross, if you don't know, literally, probably you do, but it's possible. I think more and more people don't know this. The ancient Roman Empire that you learned about in school used to literally nail piece, people to pieces of wood to execute them if they didn't like them. They would do it to intimidate populations that they had uh, subjugated. They would do it to punish criminals. And so he knew that's what was going to happen to him. He was going to die that way in just a few short hours. They didn't know that. But I'm sure when they saw what happened and they saw his blood pouring out on the cross and they saw his body ripped open, they were like, the bread that he broke, the cup, kind of almost looks like, you know, same color. Wow, that's what he was talking about. And they never forgot it. And it was written down. The Bible gives us God's words that all Christians for all times would remember that Jesus said, get together and eat bread and take the cup and drink it and remember what I've done. Remember what I've done. Do this, you see in verse 24, if you look at that in verse 25, you see it twice, in remembrance of me or to remember me. To remember Jesus' death means either that you knew about it once, but you forgot. It's possible, right? So remind yourself about what you know. That would be the idea. Because it's really meaningful, and it's really important to your life that you remember. That's Remember could mean that. Remember could actually mean you never actually knew this because someone else forgot about it somewhere along the way, and no one ever told you. But it did happen. This, this event where Jesus, this man named Jesus, who maybe you only had heard him, his name used as a curse word or something, I don't know. This thing did happen where he was actually executed by the government and he did die in our place as a sacrifice for our sins. And maybe you didn't ever know that because nobody ever told you, but it did happen. So learning about it is actually a way to remember some things that lots of people forgot. You're remembering something that the human race knows, even if you didn't personally know it. And so this might actually be, this weekend for some of you, might be a time to remember something in that way, that you never really knew this. Nobody ever told you. Nobody ever talked to you about God. Right? That doesn't mean that God doesn't love you or that he's far away from you. Quite the opposite, actually. It means, if no one ever told you these things before, if this has all been kind of new to you, if you're like, are they serious? Some of them look serious. Right? Then someone needs to say it to you. God is not far. He's not far from any one of us, the Bible says. But we can be so not aware of him. We can get older and actually get into things that are evil and it can, it can set us at odds with him. And so we can be just like... It's like if if someone was in the room, you know, you have someone in the room, but you're fighting with them. So maybe you're only 10 feet from them, but you're like miles apart. You know what I'm talking about? It's like a lot of people are that way with God. 
Or maybe you're like, I didn't mean to fight with God. I don't know. I'm just doing my thing. That's not me. I. Maybe it's like, you know, if, I don't know, former President Barack Obama was in the room and I didn't know it, like this incredibly important person was there. Do you know what I'm saying? And like, for whatever reason, I just hadn't seen him in the crowd. I just didn't know. And then, you know, he turns to me and I'm like, President Obama? You know, that moment where you're like, oh my gosh. A lot of people have experiences with God like that. They didn't realize. You didn't know that he saw you in your room or on your block or on your street or in your yard or on the bus or in your mom's car or whatever. You didn't know that he had seen you there. And then one day, somebody tells you about him. And it's like he turns around and introduces himself to you. And I know that there's adults in your life who have been hoping, maybe friends your age, who have been hoping that this weekend would be that kind of experience for you. Because you know why? Meeting God is the greatest thing that can happen to a person. Meet your creator, your father, the one who knows you, who can fix you. And the death of Jesus Christ is all about fixing what's wrong with us, our separation from God, our sin, our guilt, forgiving it, and the world, right? And Jesus says, when you get together, do this and remember me. I just wanted to point out what things are important to remember. What things are important to remember? I'm sure you could come up with other answers. What I was thinking of is it's important to remember things that will harm you if you forget them, right? When you're little, if you forget that the, the, the glowing red stove is hot, it could harm you. That's I don't know. Everyone always uses hot stoves for illustrations. I don't know why, but I guess we're all secretly scared of them for the rest of our lives. What if I forget, right? Things that will harm you if you forget. How does forgetting Jesus and what he did for us hurt us? Follow me here. If we forget what Jesus did on the cross, then we won't understand what's wrong with us and with the world. What's going to happen is that we'll all try all the wrong things to fix what's wrong. We won't know who God is. We'll ignore him, like I said, or we'll assume that we're cool with him when we're not. We'll hurt ourselves by accident and we'll hurt other people. We'll hurt the world if we forget who Jesus is. We'll dishonor our creator. We all end up thinking evil things and saying evil things and doing any evil things. And then we'll be guilty of sin. This is what happens to us as humans, right? And we'll be judged by God and lost forever and suffer for our sins in outer darkness. It's a big deal. But the death of Jesus on the cross that we're going to remember tonight is all about making sure that that, that, that that does not have to happen to anybody. It doesn't have to happen to you or to anybody else, right? But what if what if you actually never forgot in one sense, right? You, you, you already knew about Jesus and his death and his resurrection. Why do we need to keep remembering? Why do we need to keep doing this to remember Jesus' death? I just think it's to keep it fresh in our minds. You should remember, not because you're like, oh, I know that Jesus died for me. No, but keep it fresh in our minds. Jesus wanted it fresh, evidently. Because like Paul says here, it's going to affect our whole lives if we're constantly remembering these things. And reading and thinking and praying over Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, the secret verses that no one's allowed to read until tonight, is a great way to remember what Jesus did when he gave his body and his blood for us. So go ahead and turn there. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. 
and finally see what all the hype was about. Actually, these verses are worth hyping. Some people think this was an, an ancient Christian hymn, actually, a song that Paul incorporated under the inspiration of the Spirit into the, 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 his letter. Whether, whether it was that or not, it is a famous, beautiful, deep passage. So let's read it, verses 5 through 11, chapter 2, Philippians. We're just going to talk about it for a few minutes, and it's going to lead us right into uh, doing what Jesus told us to do in 1 Corinthians there, which is to remember him by taking the bread and the cup. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Same guy, Paul, writing to a different church, and he writes this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what specific things can we remember? So one of the great things about this passage is that it fits really nicely with taking communion because it's, it, it, it gives us some details to remember about what Jesus was doing on the night when his body was broken, the bread, and his blood was shed, the cup, right? So, so some details to remember. Again, if this is all new to you, you can use this passage to know what to think about while we're taking communion. You can use these verses to help yourself. Well, what am I supposed to be thinking about while I'm holding a little bit of grape juice and some people are praying? Well, this passage could actually help you do that, right? First, you can obviously simply think about the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. That's important to remember when we take communion. Second, if you want more to think about, if you want to think deeply about what was going on when Jesus was giving his life for us, you can use the words of this passage, like I said. So look at verse 5. Let's do that for a minute together. Let's think deeply about what was going on on the cross, right? And before we read verse 5, let me just say this. Uh, it It's not very cool all the time in our culture to be deep. There's like times people go through phases where they want to be deep. There's other times when they're just not interested in being deep, right? And deep doesn't mean that you're, you know, you're spacey or like you can't connect with the real world because you're just too deep. That's like something else, right? Eyes half closed, unable to connect with the real world. That's something, but it's not deep, right? That's not what it means. This, ultimately, you know, Christ shows us what depth is. And so I just want to encourage you, if you want to follow Jesus, or maybe if, you, if you're not sure, let me offer something to you. You want to be deep. You want to go deep with God. Part of what, what hurts us and makes us feel anxious and scared a lot of times, and we don't even know it before we know Jesus, is the shallowness of life. Do you know that, how, how deep is your phone? You ever thought about it? If you have one. If you don't, props to you. But if you do, I mean it. If you do, that's like half an inch, right? Do you see the point I'm making? You know how deep this will make you? About half an inch deep. You're like, oh no, I go I go places in my phone. I go all over the world and into fake worlds, like tons of fake worlds. You know how deep fake worlds are? About half an inch deep. 
ESPN, about half an inch. Right. You know what I'm talking about, right? TikTok, it's like an eighth of an inch. <laughs> all the old people hate on TikTok. You like that? It's like they learn. I learned how to say TikTok last week, and now I'm gonna act like I know all about. It. I don't even know what it is. I just know if you say it, kids laugh, so I keep saying it. Maybe a sixteenth of an inch TikTok. And if you if we spend our time hanging out in shallow things, we will be shallow. You can feel deep because you can feel spacey. That's not being deep. That's just being spacey. But you were meant to be far deeper than half an inch, friends. You are made in the image of God. You can think things and do things and know things. And this, this is a ripoff. Because you were meant for much deeper things. But sin makes us shallow. It makes us care about ourselves. It makes us care about the surface of things and the way people look. And it just, it just presses us into about a half an inch deep. And the Holy Spirit of God, whether you know it or not, is calling you into deeper waters. It won't make you spacey. It'll make you useful. It'll make you the kind of person that can handle other people and their pain and their struggles and solve problems and know what to say and know what to do. And so here are some deep words. Ready? Verse 5. For tonight, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Whose Bible reads differently? Verse 5. What do you got? Have the same mindset. I like that as Jesus. Yeah. That's good too. You must have the same attitude, mindset, attitude. Anyone's Bible say it differently? We got some good Bibles in this room. Yeah. Have this mind, which is yours. Yeah. Who? Who? Something different here. We're probably about this. That's what we got, right? Yeah. Okay. So you see what he's saying, right? Think this way. We can, when you're holding the bread and the cup, we can remember the mind of Jesus. You can remember the way he thought, right? The attitude that he had. And Jesus on the cross for us, he didn't sin, right? The Bible says Jesus didn't do anything wrong. He was, he was killed in, in, my, in my place, in our place. That alone, like what kind of person would do that? The attitude that he had. Our minds, our minds are messed up, right? Our thoughts are not like God's thoughts, we can't even really get to know God unless we learn how to think. And this is just the truth. We can't get to know God unless we learn how he thinks. And when we talk about learning how God thinks, we're not saying that we need to be smart enough to run the whole universe. Like, well, I could God like knows everything. I can't know everything. No, no, no. We don't need to think like God like that. The Bible never says that. Be as smart as God or you won't be saved. <laughs> oh, no, right? I know some people that think they're as smart as God, but I'm pretty sure they're not going to be saved because of that. That's not what it means. It's not be as smart as God. Don't think like God, like I'm going to run the universe. Think like Jesus. That's what's being said. Right? Who, verse 6, here it is, who being in the form of God, did not consider it to be robbery to be equal with God. Now, I'll give you some other translations you might have. Another one says, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Another one says, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That's pretty cool. And the Bible, I absolutely love that I read to my, my boys, my little kids, says, he did not think that being equal with God was something he should hold on to. 
Let this mind, think this way, like Jesus thought. What are you talking about, Bible? He didn't think that being equal with God was something he should hold on to. He should worry about. The way we need to think like Jesus is by realizing who he really was, right? When we're prideful, it's actually pretty dumb. Like, we're not even seven feet tall. I don't think anyone here is seven feet tall. I don't see an beat anywhere, so. We're not even seven feet tall. And sometimes we act like the world like revolves around us. Right? I'm not big enough to exercise that kind of gravity. Sometimes we think that, like, like we're God. But Jesus is God. Follow the logic here. The Son and the Father, the Bible says, are one. Right? If anybody could be prideful, it's someone who could say, I'm God, right? And and it, it's true. That's Jesus. He could have been, it's weird to say, but prideful that way. Even though it's true that he's God, he wasn't all about holding on to his special place. See what's being put in front of us here? He wasn't about you know keeping himself center stage. That was the opposite of what he was about. He, please listen to me. His identity was not a big deal to him. His true identity was, I'm God. That was Jesus' identity. But that wasn't his central concern, who he was. So think about that kind of mindset. And look at what he did. Look at verse 7. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. He was God, but he was willing to step way down. In fact, he stepped so far down we couldn't even travel that kind of distance even if we wanted to, right? If, if we want to follow Jesus, just to bring it down to our level, we're just going to have to learn to be humbled. And I'm not saying that to you. Notice I'm saying we. I'm saying that with you. Right? I'm with you in this. If we, if we want to follow Jesus, we have to learn to be humbled. We're going to have to learn, I guess, to step down in real ways. We'll have to be ready to take a lower place, not always to be the brightest or the most noticed or the most important. I bet none of you will hear this in school, right? But that's what, that's what this says. But no matter how far down we step, you know, it's like if you compare how far down we step when we do small acts of humbling ourselves, you can't even compare it to far, how far down he stepped. It's like not even an ant next to Mount Everest in terms of distances, right? He was willing to be a man when he was God. And then, like, you ever think this? He didn't just become like some awesome man, right? Like, okay, cool, I'll be a man. I'll be LeBron James. Or I'll be King Solomon. Or I'll be Jeff Bezos. Like, he, he, it's not like... And the father was like, well, okay, at least you became a man. He's like, yes, I became like the awesomest man, you know? He, no. <laughs> when he became a man, what kind of man did he become? It says he made himself a servant. He is the king. He will actually rule the world as king. But first, he took on the role of a servant. The Bible is telling us we need to have a mind like this. We need to think like this. And taking communion is a way to remember who Jesus is and what he did and what it meant for us. That's what we're doing tonight. You hold that bread and that cup in your hands and you think, Jesus was willing to do this. 
so that he could make me like this too. That's what it says, right? Have this mind in you. There's a lot of people who want you to think like they think. They want you to celebrate who right now? What's the big person everyone wants you to celebrate? Yourself, right? That's what they say. And right now, it seems like everyone thinks that the way to find happiness is to make yourself the most important person in your universe. This is like almost so obvious it's funny to say, but let's just say it. Right now, everybody seems to think that the way to find happiness is to make yourself the most important person in your universe. When you get into the young adult range, you'll start hearing a term called self-care. We don't have to talk about that now. You're not old enough to learn about self-care. That the way to find happiness is to make yourself the most important person in the universe and to think about yourself and take pictures of yourself, post about yourself, get likes, talk about yourself, and get as many people as possible to notice you and look at you and say that you matter, right? That's the secret for happiness. But that's literally, according to the Bible, the opposite of what Jesus did. And if God says that we're supposed to have the same kind of mind in us that Jesus had in him, it means that everything they're telling us is wrong. That's what it means. These verses, the whole Bible, contradicts everything that we're being told about how to find happiness. And that we need to take, we need, excuse me, Jesus to take us to his school to learn how to think. We need to learn how to think like him instead. That's salvation having the mind of Christ. Not all this pride. Please listen to this sentence. Pride is not salvation. Pride is not happiness. Pride is loneliness and emptiness and all the damage we create in our world when we make pride important. Even if you give it a whole month. It is not salvation. Like all lies that Satan tells, he tells big, fat, opposite lies. He's like, let me pick the worst possible thing for them to get into. I got it. Pride. It'll break them all. It's going to make them all horribly, desperately unhappy. And what they'll do, because all they know, because that's what I've told them, is just keep pressing further into their pride. And tonight, when we hold the bread and the cup in our hands, Jesus says, Remember what I did for you. And Philippians 2.5 says, learn to think like this. Hold the bread in the cup and say, this is who Jesus was willing to be for me, like broken bread, so that my hungry soul could be filled. And this is who he wants to make me. And we can keep going deeper with all this remembering. He didn't just become a man. He didn't just become a servant. And all these steps in these verses lead down, 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 right? He also let himself be killed. Look at verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. you got to understand, he didn't just let himself be wrongly killed. Jesus was wrongly killed. I mean, he can identify with every oppressed people, everyone that suffered injustice. Jesus literally let himself suffer real injustice. But he didn't just let himself suffer injustice. He let himself be killed in the worst way in the most humiliating way. This is Jesus. This is why we don't sing songs about ourselves in church, everybody. We just sing about this man, right? Killed in the most humiliating way. That's what verse 8 means. Look at it. 
He humbled himself. How? From the highest point anyone can be, God, to the lowest point any man can go, the cross. The shame and humiliation and pain and death on a cross. And the Bible says, let that same kind of mind be in you. Let the way Jesus thought be your thoughts. Learn to train your heart. Learn to bend your feelings to feel this way about yourself and other Christians and God and the world. Do I need my own way? Do I need to be the star? And it doesn't go away. I'm 43 and I can still, like, I'm with you in this. We're so, I just want to be in the center, right? The world tells me that the way to happiness is to express myself again and have everyone watch me and praise me. Is that true or is that a lie from hell? Will that make me happy or will it destroy me? And the word of God says, unlearn that kind of thinking. It's total propaganda. Here's the truth. Jesus on the cross dying for you. Here's the truth. Learn that way of thinking and living and you'll be free to know God and honor God and love God and live your life. Don't be in bondage to sin and pride. And we know it leads to life and all good things because of how it worked out for Jesus. Look at verse 9. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him. Now, exalt means lift up, lifted him highly up, all the way up, and given him the name. You want to talk about fame? Given him the name which is above every name. He doesn't even fit in the Hall of Fame. He's above every Hall of Fame. Right? No golden bust of him in Canton, Ohio. He sits on the flaming throne. This is awesome. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The first word in verse 9, therefore, tells us that the reason Jesus can step all the way up to the throne is because he went all the way down. Right? That's the motion there. There's up-down stuff there. hope you're noticing it. It's like Sesame Street Bible, basically. You're seeming uh, tired, so I threw in a Sesame Street reference to wake you up. Right? Up and down. He humbled himself all the way down to the cross, so God exalted him. He went down so that God could lift him up. He went all the way down, so God lifted him. Where am I going to go with this? Oh, yes. They're still listening. Thank you. All the way up. Right? You guys are awesome. We're going to hold in our hands tonight. Keep saying it, because this is what we're doing. The bread and the cup. And Jesus said, whenever you do that, remember that my body was broken and my blood was shed. Remember that I did it for you. And Philippians says, let all that remembering change you. Let Jesus' way of thinking and living and dying get inside of you. And let it be more important than your wants or your needs, than your pride or your anxiety or your pain or your confusion or your loneliness, or your lust, or your anger, or your boredom. None of those things are your identity anymore. Let this mind be in you. If you trust Jesus, if you follow him, the Bible says, Christians, we have the mind of Christ. If you want to follow Jesus, that's just true. And if you want to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit will begin to help you think this way as you remember and pray, and ask, and keep remembering. And then, this will become your identity. Not your struggles, or your broken heart, not your broken family, not your awesome family, right? 
Not that you were a Christian kid your whole life or that you never knew a thing about church or that you felt like you were born in the wrong body or that you've never been able to be happy. None of those things will be, this becomes your identity. This way of thinking and living will define you. The Bible calls that being conformed into the image of Christ. The Bible talks about putting on Christ, such weird language, right? Like, put him on. What's your identity? Jesus Christ saved me. Something like that. Those kinds of things should just sort of pop up in our mind. When we think about who we are, let this mind be in you. Jesus himself said, this is eternal life, speaking to his father, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And Jesus' follower, John, wrote, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true and we are in uh, in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So that is Philippians 2, 5 through 11.